our chapters this time. First Samuel 18 and 19, because they were thrilling. They were action-packed. You know, sometimes you get to parts of the Bible that are not action-packed. And, um, and so it's always fun to get to an action-packed part. Okay, so today we're talking about Saul's jealousy. And his jealousy goes beyond these chapters, but we're, this is where it really kicks into high gear. Um, you know, have you ever known a golden person? You know, this person, someone, everyone loves this person. God loves this person. Uh, fortune loves this person. They get blessing after blessing, whether or not they deserve it, and they usually don't, right? Um, they get looks, they get popularity, they get, they get money, they get the nice spouse and family, they get into the right school, they get a good job, blah, 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 their kids come out okay. Um, but actually, as I was making this list, I was thinking, the further you go along in life, the harder it is to think of a golden person. <laughs> because everyone can think of one in high school, right? Everybody knew a golden person in high school. It's really hard, even if you're the golden person, to hang on to your gold because uh, life has a way of beating it out of you. So, and it even happens to David. Of course, I'm leading up to David being the golden boy. And, but David also gets the gold beaten out of him. And if Saul had only lived long enough to see it, he might have felt better. Um, okay, so it is hard not to be jealous of golden people, at least while they are golden, right? I've told you before about Stephanie, the gal I worked with when I got out of school. And Stephanie was a golden gal. She, um, she was literally golden, right? She was blonde. She was beautiful. She um, had worked as a ski instructor. I mean, how sickening is that? In Aspen or somewhere glamorous. And um, anyways, and in our office, there, there were only three young women. Me, the other gal whose name I have totally forgotten now, and then Stephanie, and I, um, the other gal and I had been there longer, but when Stephanie came, the other gal only wanted to be friends with Stephanie, right? So that was how it felt to me. Um, so Stephanie was the golden girl, and you couldn't even hate her properly because she was really sweet. She was sweet and she was chipper, and she just made you want to gag. She was so kind. Anyways, but Stephanie's life was not perfect, right? The gold starts to get beaten out of you. And sure enough, she had to work in this work environment with this strangely hostile person. And um, mysteriously hostile, right? She was the one who had to confront me and say, did I do something wrong? It's like, no, I'm just a terrible person. So anyways. Um, her boyfriend broke up with her and broke her heart. I remember her crying, coming to work crying. And then it got even worse because he took up with some new girl who apparently looked exactly like her, right? I mean, what was the point? What was the point of switching out one golden girl for another golden girl? So anyways, and so I didn't feel super bad because, you know, when you're golden and in your 20s, I'm sure better times were right around the corner. Okay, so we open in 1 Samuel 18 with David the golden boy. And the golden boy who defeated the Philistine giant Goliath with just a slingshot and five smooth stones and a better attitude, right? Um, a godlier perspective. And everyone loves David. Did you notice, I don't know if you noticed in chapters 18 and 19 how many times it says someone loved David, right? It's never... David and someone loved each other. It's someone loved David, right? Um, they're all loving him. Jonathan loves David. Michael loves David. The people love David. 
Right? In verse 1, it says, The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Jonathan loved David as himself. Right? Then it says, Jonathan and David made a pact because Jonathan loved him as himself. And literally, in the Hebrew, it's Jonathan and David with him sealed a pact, meaning Jonathan initiated, David, I love you, I love you, I love you, let's make a pact. All right, right? That's how the golden people feel. All right, okay. I mean, adulation is normal to me, except for mid siblings, right? As Kristen pointed out. Even golden people get beat up by their siblings. Um, maybe more so, even. Okay, so we know from David's words elsewhere that he also loved these people back, or loved Jonathan back. He didn't love his wife that much. Um, but we don't get that sense here. Here, all the love is going one direction, just like the band, right? Um, just a sidebar, in case anyone got hung up on the gay thing, um, this talk of love, love, love between these two young men, uh, somebody came up to me at literary night and asked about it, because one of our books, uh, one of the characters loved, 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 loved her best friend, right? And um, I just want to say a couple things. One is that uh, passionate friendships between people of the same gender really only recently became suspect. I mean, it kind of was the way of things, like in the last hundred years. Before that, if you look at letters, if you look at novels, people are always, love, love, I love, love, love you, right? My friend, I love, love, love you, right? Um, so, and I think in particular, Americans are probably the most leery of passionate same-sex friendships. So I just want to throw that out there. Um, and two, David said at a later point, oh, Jonathan, my love with you was better than the love of women. Right? Second Samuel. We'll get to that. Um, but as I can see as we go through David's life, that bar was not especially high. Right? He was not very good at loving women. Um, starting with poor Michael. Um, he's not very good at it. It reminded me of uh, reminded me of Sylvester Stallone. One time I read this interview and they asked him, you know, somehow I got on this topic. Like, if you were on a deserted island, you know, who would you bring? which would make the island not deserted, but whatever. This was a Sylvester Stallone And he said he would bring his guy friends. And I remember he said, because what good would the women be after you're done having sex with them? And I thought, I thought, David is not that much better, right? Like, my favorite wife of David's is Abigail, because it says she's beautiful and intelligent, right? Well, my favorite wife, Abigail, right? None of that. David loves himself the most. And God. And God. Um, okay. So, yeah. So, David is, so for him to say, I love my relationship with you, Jonathan, was better than with any of the women in my life, that is not saying a heck of a lot. Um, and when you're young, you feel everything very deeply, right? You, when you're young, it's when you use talk like, my best friend, my best friend, right? We don't go around talking about my best friend, my best friend, who's your best friend, right? We don't usually talk like that anymore. So when you're young, you're passionate. Okay, that's the sidebar. So anyhow, the point being, everyone loves David to pieces. They love him, and David loves being loved. He loves being the golden boy. And of course, the person who is most jealous of David is Saul, right? Saul has the most to lose, the king. Um, Saul has been told in chapter 13 by Samuel that, oh, you messed up. Your throne is not going to go to your kids. Um, it's going somewhere else. And I'm not supporting you anymore. Now I'm going to go support the new king, right? And David is younger. He's the younger generation. 
He's trying to replace him. He's trying to supersede him. And it's so annoying. Saul, every time um, Saul wins a military victim, a uh, military victory, David like does even better. Right? Remember that verse about uh, what? That, that verse about uh, you know, have you noticed in the Bible whenever there's like a victory, all the women, your job is to come out with tambourines and make up a song. So they come out and they're like, oh, Saul, he's slain his thousands. But David, oh man, David is like a one-man massacre, right? So David gets all the credit. Um, Saul, David has slain his tens of thousands. So David is even winning the popularity contest with the people. He has youth. He has good looks. He has military prowess. He's musical. He's more spiritual, right? He has God on his side. And even Saul's own children like David better than they like their dad. It's so discouraging. And maybe because I have children like that age, I'm just like, come on. Who fed you and housed you and raised you and whatever? Godly, right? Compared to their best friend. Okay, so let's go back to the verse at the beginning of the chapter. Let's see. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. This is after the whole David and Goliath thing, right? Um, then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul, just in case they didn't mention that a verse ago. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor, um, and even his sword, and his bow, and his girdle. His, uh, does it say girdle in the NIV? Uh, belt. 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 belt, yeah. I was like, here, take my corset. Um, let's see, even his girdle. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. Okay, so if you remember at the end of, at the, in the David and Goliath story, remember when Saul tries to put his armor on David? to go face the giant. He's like, here, you're gonna need some help. You're so scrappy, scrawny. So, and then David rejected, right? Rejected the armor and symbolically was kind of rejecting Saul's aegis over him, right? He's like, no, 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 I'm not gonna represent kind of you. Um, but here in chapter 18, David does not seem to have any objection to Jonathan dressing him. Here's Jonathan dressing him. And what does Jonathan put on David first? He puts on the cloak which is the same garment, you remember, um, that the priest Samuel used in chapter 15 to represent the monarchy. Remember that the peace rips off of Saul's cloak and, and Samuel's like, ah, see, God's gonna rip the kingdom out of your hand. So the cloak was symbolizing the whole monarchy, right? And that is the first thing Jonathan puts on him, and David does not object, right? He does not object to that symbolism. Okay. Um, you also remember in chapter 15, we talked about Jonathan and kind of how his attitude was different than his dad's. And one of, the, one of his strengths that we talked about was that Jonathan was able to hold his own will very loosely, right? Um, he was willing to let God do whatever God wanted to do and just see if that was going to involve him or not. He was willing to let God work. And here's that characteristic demonstrated again in Jonathan, right? What other prince would be willing to say, hey, here, here, take all my power, take all my status, you know, take all the good stuff I got, and, and actually love the person they're giving it to, right? Give it willingly, give it, give it wholeheartedly, because that's what God wants, right? Jonathan is able to do that. Um, 
Jonathan is able to want God's will more than his own. So, you know, I think David gets all this credit for being the man after God's own heart. Jonathan is actually very much a man after God's own heart, right? And um, sometimes even more so, because for Jonathan to be a man after God's own heart means it comes at a very great cost to him. He comes down in rank. He comes down in status so that David can be lifted up, if that's what God wants. Jonathan is willing to go along with whatever God is doing. Okay, so with David's rise, rise, Saul is having to let go of things he did not yet want to let go of. So, oops, sorry. Oh, God, well, my slides are next up. Okay, so what is life prying from Saul's hands? The first thing is youth, right? David is younger. Saul has a grown son who's David's age, and suddenly the younger generation is rising up and trying to supersede him. Saul is losing power, right? If you're the ex-king, you don't have nearly the same power as the king. In fact, you don't have any power. Um, you know, think about uh, when if, if you've ever retired from work, right, and, and your children grow up, you feel like, My, who do I have power over now? I'm not a boss. I'm not a, a parent who can boss kids around. You know, where does my power go? Um, status. <laughs> Scott was talking the other day. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm so busy. I mean, somebody wants to have dinner with us. And blah, blah, blah. And he said, thinking, when I retire, nobody will want to have dinner with us. I said, nobody. Not a single person is going to want to, because we'll be nobodies, right? You, you give up a certain amount of status with the title. And so, um, so I said, just enjoy feeling stressed out by somebody wanting to be with you, right? Because nobody wants to be with us. I mean, even you retire, your own wife won't want you around all the time, right? So, okay, so Saul is being asked to give up status. He's being, being asked to give up renown, right? It's being taken from him. David slaying his tens of thousands. Um, at our old church, the worship pastor there, his name was Doug Lawrence, and he said, he said um, there are four stages of a career. The first one is, who is Doug Lawrence? He said, the second stage is, get me Doug Lawrence. That's the guy I want. The third stage is, get me a young Doug Lawrence. And the fourth stage is, who is Doug Lawrence? <laughs> so this is, this is how life goes, right? So Saul is having to give up renown. Soon it'll be like, Saul, you mean the guy who became the Apostle Paul? Right? Nobody thinks of this Saul, right? Poor Saul. Okay. So it's not just Saul who has to let go of these things. We do too, sooner or later, like I was talking about, right? And we might feel jealousy in those areas of people who still have them, people who still have the youth and the power and the status and the fame, right? But what if we could be more like Jonathan? What if we could hold on to these things with freer hands and pray different kinds of prayers in those situations? I thought of some freedom prayers, freehand prayers, <clears throat> right? The first one, Lord, loosen my grip on the things of this world, right? The things that we spend so much time valuing and pursuing. Lord, loosen my grip on them. This thing I am jealous of, this thing I want, is that a thing of you or is that a thing of the world? Loosen my grip. Um, Lord, what do you have for me now in my stage of life? The world might value us when we are young and beautiful and strong and this and that and that and that and lose interest in us as we lose our youth and our beauty and our power and our status and our... But God does not, right? God does not. There is always a place in the kingdom, and there's always actually something he has for you to be doing. 
you may or may not be doing it, but there is always something God has for you to be doing. So ask him, what do you have for me now? I feel like, I feel like I want to be 27 and a Kardashian, but you may have something else for me now, right? What do you want for me now? Um, and then, Lord, how are you at work now, and how can I still help you in what you're doing? This is a little different, right? How are you at work now? What are you working on, Lord? As I look around the world, what are you working on? And can I participate in that, right? Can I still help with what I see? I see you doing something big over there. Can you still use me here? Show me. Okay, so one is like, Lord, how do you want to use me? But it overlaps with, Lord, I see you at work, and I want to take part. Okay, so how might Saul's life have been different if he had been able to pray this? Lord, I let you down. As a leader of your people, I let you down. Forgive me. I pray that you will still use me to build your kingdom, right? And that might be building David right now. I pray you will still use me to build your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. How can I participate? How can I support what you are trying to do now? What a different life Saul might have had, right? Instead of his descent into bitterness and anger, right? Saul is angry. He is jealous. He grows paranoid. Uh, Saul thinks, well, if David already has Jonathan's love and blessing and the people's love and blessing, what more can he have but the kingdom? Right? Verse 8, what more can he have, right? There's nothing left to take from him. And then he finds out, oh, he can take your daughter too. But um, so verse 12 says, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul, right? Sometimes as life is making us let go of things, we feel jealous of those who still have them. And, and we have a choice, right? Am I going to say, okay, Lord, what do you have for me now? And how can I support what you are doing? Or are we gonna say, oh, I hate that person, I hate that person, I'm gonna bring that person down, right? One is of God and one is not. Um, okay, so Saul takes, Saul takes the road more traveled, right? He, he um, and the result is violence and murder in his heart. The three verses, 8 through 12. Saul was very angry. And this saying, right? David is saying, he said that this saying displeased him. He said, they've ascribed to David ten thousands. And to me, they've ascribed thousands, right? What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on, right? Clearly, this must be David's fault. And on the morrow, an evil spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. This is David. I think I'll just play some music, write some songs to the Lord. Okay. Um, Saul had his spear in his hand, his scepter, his spear. Did he walk around with a spear? And Saul cast the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall, little liar guy. I'm going to pin you to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Okay. So, what, um, this evil spirit of God, it can also be translated, Saul went into a frenzy. And interestingly enough, it is the same verb that is used in chapter 9, that, uh, that will be used in chapter 19, when Saul goes into his ecstatic kind of ravings, right? This frenzy. Um, we know that in the Bible, various illnesses from mental illness to epilepsy um, were referred to in up to Jesus' time and past as unclean spirits, right? So demons, of course, fell in that bucket, things spiritual, but also epilepsy, mental illness, things that could not be explained at the time, right? 
Um, so some are demonic, and you'll notice when Jesus casts them out, some speak, right? The spiritual ones speak. But some just, you know, off they go because it was uh, more of like something with the brain going on. Um, others are just healed. So Saul's evil spirit comes from God in that when the anointing and the revelation are withdrawn from him, something has to fill that space, right? Some God gives permission for something else to fill that space, so to speak. So Saul may have had a demon, right? or he may have just suffered from jealousy and anxiety and depression and anger that then festered into bitterness and violence. It's hard to say at this point. Okay, so from Saul's perspective, you know, oops, sorry. How do you stick it to Golden Boy, right? How do you mm, take care of that guy? First thing he tries in verse 10 is stab the guy, right? Okay, music apparently does not tame the savage beast in this case because it's when David's playing the liar that Saul's like, oh, I hate that kid, right? And tries to stab him. Um, or you can uh, put the guy in life-threatening situations. Uh, in verse 13, he has David appointed the head of the troops. Meaning, you know, all right, go out into more battles and maybe somebody will get lucky and pick you off, right? And um, interesting, David is going to remember that little maneuver when we get to Bathsheba and Uriah. It's like, how do I get rid of that? Well, I can't stab him with a spear. I'll send him out in battle at the head. Saul tried that, right? David learns a bad habit here. Um, swindle the guy. Um, remember, uh, Saul promised whoever kills the, the guy, Goliath, he can marry my daughter. And so then when we get to verse 17 through 19, um, Saul takes his daughter, the one who should have been David's because he slew Goliath, right? And he, he marries her off to somebody else. But then even that plan backfires because then Saul's next daughter, of course, gets just the world's biggest crush on David. So, okay, uh, part two, put the guy in life-threatening situations again, right? So Michael falls in love and, oh, I love that guy. And, and David, um, David's very modest here. He's like, oh, who should I be to be the king's son? But it was a promise, right? You get to marry the king's daughter. So, um, so Saul's like, all right, bring me a hundred Philistine foreskins, which is the crazy. Go kill a hundred people and bring me their nasty foreskins, right? Um, and of course, David does like a Samson move and does 200 foreskins, right? Um, so this is a combo of Saul's two earlier moves. He uses his daughter kind of as a political chess piece, and he tries to get David killed. Okay, and then uh, number five, convince someone else to kill the guy. In uh, 19 verse 1, if you remember, uh, this is how Henry II of England got rid of Thomas of Becket, right? He said, he was lounging around one day and he said, oh, will no one rid me of this meddlesome priest? And so his, his faithful followers go and slay Thomas of Becket, right? And then Thomas of Becket becomes St. Thomas, whatever. Okay, so Saul urged his son Jonathan and all his courtiers to kill David. So we don't get kind of details on that. So we know that um, Saul is jealous and afraid of David, and he, he learns over and over how God is on David's side, but he's still, he's still driven by jealousy and wants to kill him. Okay, um, and then we have this little interlude in chapter 19, after he says, go kill David. Okay. Um, but Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David, as we know. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, take heed to yourself in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. 
and I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I'll speak to my father about you, and I'll learn, if, if I learn anything, I'll tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, which probably annoyed his father further, right? Said to him, don't let the king be angry against his servant David, um, because he hasn't sinned against you, and because his deeds have been of good service to you, right? David has been a good subject to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he slew the Philistine, and the Lord wrought a great victory for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul hearkened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. Right? Um, if you've ever been around people with mental illness, my grandma, well, I've got, got mental illness. Um, anyhow, you know they have good days and bad days. Um, I think of Scott's mom right now, and some days she is just sharp as a tack, like the last time he spoke to her. And the, but the night before that, she didn't remember she had any children. So you know there are good days and bad days. So Jonathan may be catching his day on catching his day on a good day, right? Saying, you know, don't come on. It, it's a bad PR move. David has been a faithful subject. He's very popular with the people. Don't kill him. And Saul says, you're right. I shouldn't kill that guy, right? But then it doesn't last long. And then there is. Um, there's that I didn't read you. Then there's stab the guy part two, right? Where he tries to get him with a spear again. And David this time has to flee the court. Okay, so Saul's actions, because of the road Saul takes, they lead to his children outright defying him, right? Both Jonathan and Michael um, aid and abet David's escape from danger. It's too long to read, but there's the scene with David sneaking out at night and um, just like in Lord of the Rings, remember at the end of the Prancing Pony? And so she stuffs the dummy and puts it in the bed, and um, not the Nazgul, but you know, the guards come in looking for, um, looking for David, and what? It's a dummy, right? That's not him. So that was his, Saul's final attempt in chapter 19, which is have the guy arrested so you can kill him. Um, okay, so the chapter ends with David fleeing to take refuge with Samuel, right? Samuel, you're the one who chose me and anointed me and said God was with me, so I'm going to come hide out with you because it, when does it start, <laughs> the whole God with me business, right? Um, and Samuel, of course, has no military armies to defend himself, though we know from past chapters that Samuel is also quite good at slaying people. Um, but he and David certainly have the power of God, and we see it, we see it confirmed in this chapter, right? Um, Saul, Saul sends these messengers and they come away prophesying and they're full of the Spirit of God. He sends some more and they come away prophesying and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, if you want something done, you gotta do it yourself. So Saul's like, fine, I will go get him. And what happens to Saul? He, too, is overcome by these, um, by this Spirit of God, this raving spirit, right? Um, and over, it overmasters him. And the chapter ends with this sad little inclusio to Saul's story. If you remember, um, when Saul was first anointed, he goes and he, he uh, gets this prophetic spirit and all these wonderful things, and now he's got it again in this kind of very sad way, right? The spirit is, um, has reduced him to raving again. And this time, this time um, it says, verse 24, he too stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel, and lay naked all that day and all that night. Hence it is said, is Saul also among the prophets? Another, an alternate story for how that 
came to be a phrase at the time. But sad, because if, if the cloak represented the monarchy, right? Here is Saul naked, right? Stripped of it, spiritually and physically and literally, just stripped. Um, so a sad story. I won't leave you there. I want to say, what can we learn from it, right? When jealousy takes a hold of us. Maybe you have the good fortune not to be jealous of anyone at the moment. But, um, but it has probably happened in your life. You have felt jealousy. And it may happen again. So I thought, okay, what can we do? How can we stick it to the green-eyed monster, right? I thought, of, let's think of seven ways to do that. The first one I thought it was take the long view. Um, in Ecclesiastes, that passage, if you look at it, that's the one. There's, there's a time to everything, right? There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. There's a time to love. There's a time to hate. This is blah, blah, blah. Um, Meaning, meaning, one of the reasons that passage can, um, is read in memorials sometimes is because it's actually comforting, right? It's actually comforting when you are jealous of Golden Boy or Golden Girl to think life happens to everyone, right? Life happens to everyone. I may be seeing somebody at their just most glowy golden moment, but life happens to everyone, right? We all, we all get the gold beaten out of us. Um, altruistic way to be jealousy, but it's a very true one, right? Life is going to happen to that person too. And if you live, if you don't get killed like Saul, you might be around to see it. And maybe you will have grown it up internally that you won't rejoice. But maybe not. So, um, there you go. Uh, way number two, mind your own business. So that chapter, uh, the verse right there, John 21, 21, and 22, that's the passage where um, he uh, where Jesus is risen, and he's with uh, Peter and John, remember, and, and um, he tells Peter what's going to happen to him, terrible things, basically, you know, you'll be led where you don't want to go, something terrible will happen to you, and Peter naturally goes, oh, what about him, right, and Jesus says, you know what, that's none of your business, and, and he says it slightly nicer, not a heck of a lot nicer than that, but basically he's saying, it's none of your business, that's my story with him. That's not my story with you. Um, so, mind our own business. That's a hard one, right? Like, well, what if my business is not as nice as his business, right? Like, Jonathan did get nicer business. Jonathan didn't have to be crucified upside down. He got to go to Patmos and write more and live to a ripe old age. But it was none of Peter's business. Okay. Number three, practice magical thinking and gratitude. Um, and I have First Thessalonians, which is the gratitude verse, right? Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. But what I mean by the magic, so gratitude is thanksgiving. Hopefully we've all been trying to think of things we're thankful for. Um, but the magical thinking part I thought of was, I was thinking, I bet there was somebody who if they woke up this morning and they were magically you, they would be thankful for some things. What would they be thankful for? What, if they woke up this morning and they were you and no longer themselves, what might they go, yes, about? So think, think. Because, you know, the things we take entirely for granted. If somebody woke up and thought, I'm Christina, I don't have to be me for a day, right? That might make them happy for different reasons, right? Try to think about that. Who might be happy to be you and why? You might need to think globally if you're in a particularly miserable state. I just want to throw that out there. 
Okay. Uh, four, join the team. Right? Pray for God's blessings to be showered on that person. They seem to have more than their share, but join the team, right? God made that person, God loves that person. Can you get on God's side? Can you force yourself to do what you ought to do until you kind of mean it? Um, and, and see what changes it brings in you. I'm reading this uh, brain book, it's about addiction actually. But they talk about, um, you know, when, and I talked about this with habits before. When you do a habit, do something until it becomes a habit, um, they say habits are easier to form if there's emotion involved, but you can't work the other way. You can't do the habit, do the habit, do the habit, and wait for the emotions to catch up, right? It's harder, but you can do it. It, it becomes a discipline, right? So that's what I mean. You don't gotta be happy for that person, but can you join the team and say, Lord, this is what you want. You want blessing. You want to bless this person. So, Lord, I pray that you bless this person. Help me say it till I mean it. Okay. Uh, try some of the freehand prayers we talked about earlier. Um, I was thinking about that passage in Philippians we did about Christ did not see equality with God as something to be grasped, right? There's so much in life we want to grasp and we don't want to let go of. And we see somebody else who has it, and we want to take it from them too, especially if we feel like we don't have it, right? How can we, how can we, we be more free-handed, right? How can we not stop grasping those things we're grasping? Um, number six, look around. This is that one of the free-hand prayers, right? Look what God is doing all around you. Look what God is doing. Can we look around and ask to participate, right? Lord, I'm thinking about myself a lot. Can you help me stop thinking about I wish I had this, I wish I had that. Lord, let me see, what are you doing? Help me participate, okay? And then ask for more and more Jesus. This is, I had you guys in the questions look at uh, Philippians 4, 11 through 13. That's Paul's famous, um, I've learned in whatever circumstances to be content, basically, right? I've had a lot, I've had a little. I've, I've been homeless, I've been, I've been housed, right? I've had, um, I've had abundance, I've had want, right? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So the secret of contentment that Paul discovers is that contentment isn't a thing or a bunch of things, it's a who. It's a who, right? And Paul talks about a couple areas of life. Status, food supply, wealth. Um, in Paul's own ministry, he experienced adulation and he also experienced being run out of town, right? Um, he experienced founding a church and he also experienced being criticized later by the same church because he wasn't as good a speaker as the next guy, right? Um, Paul has been free to travel the world in the way that most people of his time were not, and he's also spent a lot of time in prison, right? So it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, but Paul discovered in Christ they can be both at the same time. Right? The best of times and the worst of times at the same time. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The secret of contentment is not a thing, it's a who. The secret of contentment isn't to make sure, okay, if I want to be content, I have to make sure I have this and this and this and this. You remember in uh, that Steve Martin movie, The Jerk, where he says, all I need to be happy is this one lamp, right? And then he keeps thinking of other things he needs to be happy, right? Um, the secret of content, we can't, we can't keep our grasp on all the things we think we need to make us happy, right? And doing that just leads where it leads all. It leads to anxiety, it leads to fear, it leads to jealousy, it leads to paranoia. 
And it leads to even just people pleasing, right? Like, oh, I want everyone to like me, so I'm gonna do this, right? But, um, but Paul found, okay, no. The contentment has to come from the relationship, right? Because the circumstances are sometimes gonna be great, and sometimes it will be unbearable. Unbearable. But if pain drives you to God, and joy drives you to God, then both pain and joy can lead to contentment, is what Paul found, right? To the peace that passes understanding. Okay, I just want to say, it's funny, kind of, I uh, talked about how walled off emotionally David seems in these chapters. Everyone's loving on him, and we don't know what David is feeling. Um, if he didn't have the Psalms, we would have a very different picture of David. He would seem like this sort of very cold, golden boy, right? If we did not have the Psalms. But we have the Psalms, and we studied them a couple years ago, and so we, we do know what is going on inside David while all this is happening, right? The Psalms tell us that when he's being, you know, someone's trying to stab him, someone's sending him into battle, someone's telling other people to kill him, right? Um, we know that David was, he said, these are words he uses. He was groaning. He was in distress. He was weeping. He was sorely troubled. He was pursued by enemies who wanted to tear him to pieces. He was suffering. He talks about being at the gates of death, right? With his enemy exalted over him. And it says he cried out to the only one who could save. Out of all the people who loved David, right, only one could deliver him and save him and heal him and restore him and grant peace to him and give him joy, and that was God, right? Like Paul, David discovered the secret, right? The secret is the God who loves you. That's the secret. And he says in Psalm 32, you are my hiding place. Remember, Jonathan says, go find a place to hide. And David finds, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance, right? The secret of contentment isn't a thing, it's a food. So I just want to say for us, I'm going to wrap this up so we have a second to talk before the kids come. Um, you know, when we feel jealousy and discontent, we have to look for our who, right? We have to look for our who, the one who, the one who loves us. Other people will love us off and on, but God will love us all the time, all the time, in good and bad, and we have to look for him. Um, so, you know, whether you're in a season of joy or a season of suffering, may it bring more Christ to you. Um, whether you feel like you get all the love and attention you can deal with, or whether you feel like you are not getting any love and attention and you really could use some, May it bring more Jesus in your life. Okay? Whether your life is going how you wish it would or going completely the other direction, may you have more Jesus in your life. Um, whether you think someone less deserving has more than what you have and has it way better, may you have more Jesus. Because then you will know the secret, the secret in deliverance. Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, forgive us that we have all I'm just talking to myself. We have all experienced jealousy at times, Lord. Um, there are things that we really love, whether they are good things or bad things, or things that really, we really love and want, and when we don't have them and we see someone else with them, Lord, we feel jealousy. I pray, Lord, that you would deliver us from this. I pray, Lord, that you would help us find you in this situation. Father, this Thanksgiving, as we gather with friends and family, Lord, there are often tensions, there are often maybe jealousies that have been long-standing and have caused problems. Lord, may we bless the other person, may we pray for their good, may we 
seek our contentment in you and not in the not in the love and attention or the um, the things we hope and wish for from that family situation, Lord. May we seek it from you, Lord. Though my father and mother forsake you, Lord, you will never forsake us. You are the one who loves us. You are the one who uh, loves us as we are. You are the one who calls us, who always has worked for us and a plan for us, Lord. May we rejoice in that, Father, and um, just give our circumstances to you, Father, and ask for more you and more joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.